What's up, fight fans? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. I'm Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. And I am joined by the always amazing this week on location in Las Vegas, Miss Kayla <laughs> Beatty. Hey, G. Hey, fight fans. How's your week going? Not as well as yours. That's not important. Why don't you tell me how Vegas is treating you? <laughs> Let, oh, I have a, the important question. On a scale of one to ten, how much do you miss me? Oh, God. A one. I'm too busy hanging out with Connor and Javid. <gasps> I've never been so insulted. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, for real. What is going on, Kayla? You've been for Ring TV. Just tell me what's going on. Yeah, so once we landed, we have kind of been nonstop working different press days. Today was the ultimate press day, so we got to speak with a lot of the fighters on the main card, and then we went straight into the press conference. If you haven't watched it, definitely go check it out at The Ring Digital on YouTube. It'll be up very shortly, but if you were watching it live, you saw that it was very dramatic. I did. I might have seen somebody sitting next to Gareth Davies on TV, too, if I may say so. <laughs> yes, I was. I mean, tell me about it. What, what's the buzz like out there being in, on location in Vegas, Kayla? It's pretty wild. I mean, I think that today, you know, as the weekend gets closer, more and more fans are arriving in Vegas. So we definitely saw a lot of those Irish fans. I'd say the majority of them in the arena today were the Irish. Or if there were fans of Habib, they were staying pretty quiet. Um, but yeah, it was, it's been fun just to kind of feel that, um, I guess, energy that everyone talks about, about the Irish fans. Well, obviously, you know, there's going to be so much. I'm sure the building is just going to want to blow the roof off when we get to Saturday. And we look forward to hearing your experience from there. But we have a very stacked show. There's so much news we got to go over and talk about. So let's just power right on through it. It was Bellator's biggest week ever, in my opinion. Um, I almost forgot about Madison Square Garden, and I had some thoughts about it. But let's talk about that big fight on fr- sorry on Saturday. Gegard Mousasi defeating Rory McDonald to defend the middleweight championship. In dominant fashion, Kayla, what were your thoughts on the fight? Yeah, it just wasn't as competitive as I think a lot of us thought it was going to be. And I do like that Rory spoke out saying that he kind of froze. Because not that I don't think that Gegard is obviously skilled and, you know, used the, I guess, maybe strength or weight uh, to his advantage. And he's just experienced enough to see that he kind of had Rory in a compromised situation. But it it was a little disappointing that Rory, like he said, froze and just didn't give us that fight that we were dreaming for. But, you know, like they say, being a two-time champion is, is a difficult task. And especially moving up in weight, in my opinion, I think that if that isn't your natural weight, um, weight class, I could see how... Um, that would be difficult, but yeah, I was definitely, I was a little disappointed. I don't think I was as disappointed as the UK fans who missed it and saw Peppa Pig instead, but luckily they made up for it. What were your thoughts on the fight, G? 
I think Peppa Pig is very informational for kids under the age of five years old. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, no, look, uh, one for the UK fans, that was rough. For me, I was very shocked because Rory is a durable guy. Rory is difficult to put away. I think, what, what was it? Only two guys, Rory, and that was Carlos Condit in the last 10 seconds and Robbie Lawler after an absolute war. Yeah. So the fact that Gegard was able to get the job done without much uh, coming his way was really shocking. I really felt like Rory would be attacking with more volume and i think the real you know at the end of the day it was the size and power rory was getting hit by jabs and they would visibly really do that damage and i don't think rory was expecting it i think rory felt like he's got so much experience he's beaten so many tough guys he's trained with tough guys that he didn't expect Gegard Musasi to be able to hurt him with every shot the way he was and i think that really gave him that deer in the headlights the ending of the fight was, I think, um, a testament to how good Gegard Musasi is. Rory is not afraid to go for that takedown slash Imanari role. And mm-hmm. Gegard predicted it perfectly, got right on top of him. And it was like he was about to enjoy food at the buffet, just smiles as he's able to rain down those big shots. <laughs> and um, look, I know Rory's good and he's tough, but the second Gegard got on top of him, I was like... This one's a wrap. He is so happy to be in that position. I did, Rory was done, you know, before the first shot landed, in my opinion. So, yeah, I think that was just a testament to the size and power. Rory's a fantastic fighter. He was just overmatched at middleweight against a guy as good as Gegard Musasi. Yeah, the experience was definitely shown, you know, in Gegard. Do you think, you know how Rory did mention how he's been preparing or training for these two fights that he had coming up do you think that could come into play because I've wondered like Tony Ferguson which I won't give away too much but when we talk about him or discuss him he said in a a media scrum you know I I went into this or I think he said it on an embedded episode that he was preparing for three fights Anthony Connor or Habib now I think he might have been joking a little bit I don't think he was drilling every day saying all right from 10 to 12 we're training for connor 12 to 2 habib whatever but i wonder if that kind of froze rory too of almost like like a computer malfunctioning oh my god i was training too much he's throwing things at me how do we prepare for gay guard again oops i'm freezing oh now i'm finished (laughs) that is um I love your live commentary. I think that you need to do um, an Instagram live doing that for Saturday night. (laughs) Um, I think that, I I think, no, I think that when he talks about, well, I got to train for two guys, I think it's saying that I'm doing my training with the knowledge of who my next two opponents are already going to be. So I don't think he necessarily did John Fitch specific drills. I personally believe that it's just hey you know i can't just go on vacation after gay guard win or lose because john fitch is already waiting for me so i already have a pretty stacked probably let's call it like six seven months before he's actually sorted out everything right between training for the first fight between the fight training for the second fight so i think that's more what that was i don't think he was actually uh, i think it was all gegar musasi i don't think that he was a little um what's put it that he was thinking too much in there i think it was more just gegard musasi being too much for him 
Why? Do you think that he just got overprocessed in there? I don't think so, but I just think that is something to mention. Like, if we do run into another case like this where a fighter already has his two fights booked, I wonder if it would mess with your mental state a little bit. Um, so it's just something to kind of, like, think about, I guess. Now, it's a possibility. I think only Rory and the team know it's like, hey, were you doing a little too much John Fitch stuff because you thought Gega Musasi would be XYZ? Only they can answer that. But I would probably lean toward no, not as much as some other guys that, you know, we see who are booking seemingly two fights in a row. Um, the question now, Gegard says he wants Rafael Lovato Jr. and then a rematch with Lyoto Machida. But Kayla, when I see Gegard being this dominant, I kind of wonder if he's not going to look to try to get Ryan Bader back at 205 before those fights actually happen. What are your thoughts on what the next half a year to a year are going to look like for Musasi? I think if he's saying that he wants that next fight to be Rafael, just like after he got the win, he said, you know, the fans want the Rory fight. I, I respect that he wants to try and move up here. And, you know, he's paid his dues as far as his MMA career of, you know, fighting top level guys. So Gegard seems to be happy at Bellator and be in a place where he's dealt with so much politics in his opinion and MMA before. But I think now he does want to make sure he's being a respectful champion in the sense of fighting the right guys who are next in line. So I don't know if I see the Ryan Bader fight coming up. I mean, at least not in the near future. I think for me, it depends on how does Ryan Bader do at the heavyweight tournament. Um, He's got a tough fight in Matt Mitrione. Then he faces the winner, Chael Sonnen and Fedor. By the way, all of that coming up in a week. That's how busy our schedule is in October in MMA. But, um, yeah, I think that if Ryan Bader were to go all the way and win the championship in January, that Gegard before then, before uh, Ryan Bader is even healthy to fight again, he'll probably already get scheduled for Rafael Lovato Jr. And then it's just really a matter of timing. Is a defense against Machida the bigger fight for him? Is it winning a second belt if Ryan Bader is up for it? Or what's going on at heavyweight if Ryan is going to stay there or not? I think that's what's dependent on it. But let's say Ryan Bader loses next week. I can't say that I would be surprised if they try to put that fight together for both men to try to like keep them at the top, keep them relevant, and make it a big fight for Bellator once again. So. I think that's a possibility is that the scheduling and the options, who's healthy and ready and when for both fighters. Um, moving on, co-main event had a lot of attention. This one pleasantly surprised. I think that was the general sentiment coming out. Quinton yeah. Rampage Jackson against Vanderlei Silva. Uh, Kayla, Rampage evens the score two to two. What were your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I think someone... Um... They, they use the word spirited. And I think that that was a really nice way of describing it. Um, I don't know. I think that a lot of us just kind of, we didn't, we didn't, like you said, we were just pleasantly surprised with this fight and to get, you know, a finish like we did in the second round. It was, it was an exciting moment. And I think that the card had like some excitement to it. I know we're going to briefly mention one of the fighters, but 
I think this co-main was something that was kind of needed to really cement since this card was built up so, so, so much. And because the main event ended up being a little lackluster, I think that the co-main actually really saved it. For me, I think that the biggest thing was Vanderlei Silva took some good shots and really was retaliating well. He didn't look his age. He looked tough. He looked like, uh, I'm not going to say, you know, his prime, you know, like he turned back the clock all the way, but he certainly looked a lot better than I think everybody gave him credit for. And that's a testament to his heart and his passion for the fight game and his respect for an opponent of the caliber of Rampage and their history in the cage. So all of that really boded well. Um, I agree with you. I think it was a spirited effort. It was a breath of fresh air on a card that, in my opinion, everybody was all systems go in terms of the favorites. And I think that took some of the drama when it was all said and done, especially when it concluded the way it did with the main event. But this one really did help kind of shift gears. And it was, a, it was just a fun fight. Rampage got the job done. I don't know how I feel about number five for both men. What about you? Yeah, I think that it should stop at four. I realize that what it's what is it now? Two and two. Yep. I don't know. I think they should just leave it at that. It it is amazing that you've gotten four fights and people still excited in it. You know, booking as a co-main, but I really don't think that we need to see a number five. I think their first fight was in two thousand five. If I'm not mistaken, so you got to think they're going to be approaching, you know, 15 years of a rivalry. Um, Yeah, I don't even want to see, you know, Kobe and LeBron playing that much. You know what I mean? (laughs) But no, one thing I will say is that, you know, where Vanderlei is at, this could have been it. You know, the curtain call for him. Rampage, I think we feel is getting there. I don't I'm not saying they need each other for another fight but I think you want a similar opponent they want to fight guys who are just going to stand and make a good fight with them not necessarily one of the higher level guys for example if Quinton were to go or or whichever weight but he were to fight Ryan Bader that wouldn't be what he wants I mean obviously it would be cool to get a title but I think he wants somebody to stand with him not to have to worry about the wrestling and it becomes Uh lackluster I think both of them need a similar opponent to each other if they want to come back. But I don't think it necessarily should be each other, if you get what I mean. So that's how I feel about it. So I get why a, quote, fifth fight would be something that they talk about. Moving on, I mean, touching on it real quick, Douglas Lima gets the job done against Andre Koreshkov. Um, He looked good. That was a great performance. He had women like Kerry Melendez doing work so a solid card but the the one that's that who's next who do we need to keep an eye on Aaron Pico getting the job done against Leandro Higo with another first round knockout Kayla what is next for Aaron because I have some thoughts on this and I want to I want to know if we're on the same page yeah I think that he himself described it you know well of, of what he thinks should be next for him I think that he wants to continue facing some of these top guys. He said the reason why he's faced guys with, you know, more experience, um, more wins is because, well, one, after his first couple of knockouts, he said it's been hard to find an opponent. But, um, you know, he he really feels like he is training to a level that he can fight these guys like a Leandro Higo who had 
20 something fights under his, his belt, 20 professional ones, I think. Yeah. Um, so I think he needs to continue facing those guys. We obviously all wondered, could he face a former title challenger? Someone of, you know, that kind of an, an opponent. And he clearly showed us that he can. So I think it's just facing another um, couple of the top guys in obviously the top 10 or top five of Bellator rankings. And then him and AJ, I think you said this previously on the show before, they're going to have to maybe have that sit down talk that they both discussed uh, will happen if they're the front runners for the title shot or if one of them has it and then, you know, the other one's waiting, waiting to get their title shot. But I just think that the Pitbull brothers, but especially, um, you know, the current. Yeah. I think that he should be a little worried just because I don't know. I I thought it was really interesting to see Aaron who usually is very nice. Um, you know, very respectful, uh, just kind of a more calm demeanor it was kind of fun to see him get a little hot in there and go over to the corner and talk a little shit. I know he's still being respectful, but I just thought, oh man, you know the Pitbull brothers are going to be staying silent and not tweeting again this weekend. I mean, uh, that to me is the most telling thing. The Pitbull brothers, usually they're very vocal. This time it's two weeks in a row that they don't have anything to say about these young guys. Cricket. Um, here's the catch-22 with Aaron Pico. Because I think the biggest example is his teammate, AJ, and his, you know, he'll say his brother in arms. AJ had to get to 12-0. and He's fought his entire professional career, if I'm not mistaken, in Bellator also. Um, that, there's, a, I say this all the time, it is one of your personal favorites. It's like cooking. Right now, these guys have been prepped. They're in the oven, but you got to let them sit in there a while. You can't just rush them out, put them on the rack, and they're finished. you got to take your time with it. The same thing with these guys. I'm going to say something that fans may not want to hear about Aaron Pico, but Leandro Higo was a very strategic opponent. He was more experienced, but he was a bantamweight moving up. Kayla, they put Aaron with somebody who was more skilled but was never going to have the same kind of firepower coming at him. And I think that was very important when you see the way Higo was moving and striking in those first few minutes. Now, this isn't a bad thing. Guys like Canelo, guys like Mayweather, Pacquiao, all of them were developed the same way when you know you got a top prospect. That's not bad with Aaron. My thing about it is that we are hyping him up so much for a reason, right? We think he's great. He seems to check off all the boxes. The thing about it is that if we keep seeing him, they put him on big cards. Uh He's always on a big event. If he keeps knocking these guys out in the first round, he's kind of going to almost accelerate his own timeline because let's say, um, what's his name? Uh, Who's fighting next, Uh, Patricio? I'm missing it off the top of my head. It's not Dantas, is it? Um, Patricio, <laughs> my brain is like fried from all of yeah, these. Yeah, we're, we're very focused I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up. Sure, but look, let's say he falls out. And let's say for whatever reason, AJ can't take the fight. What's everybody going to say? Well, hey, Aaron Pico keeps knocking everybody out. We're hyping him up. And it's like, guys, 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 you know, let's not count the chickens before they hatch. That is my one thing about Aaron Pico. He is still developing. He's looking awesome. 
I don't think he's quite there for a title shot just yet. I think that he just needs to take his time. And I think Bellator knows what they have going on. They can't fold to the peer pressure. They got to take their time with Aaron because I think he is their star in the making. But patience. That's what I'm going to say about Aaron Pico. He needs a few more guys at the Leandro Higo level to look good before we put him in against some real tough, real explosive dudes in this division. And I think he wants that too. He's even mentioned there's still a lot that I have to learn, you know, and because he is being tested, but not tested outside of the first round, like you said, maybe he doesn't want to just jump straight to a title shot either. Maybe he wants to have a real bloody, you know, grueling fight. So yeah, I like that idea of patience too. I do like that we're treated G where he likes to fight on the West coast. Bellator announced that they're having a big fight card in January. I think he mentioned January. I'm sure he's going to be on the main card. It will be interesting to see when they start feeling so confident in him enough to headline a card, um, but or at least co-main. But I think again, patience, it'll take some time. Exactly. He's not on the cooling rack yet. Kayla, we got to sit there. We got to wait. We got to take our time. We got to have our coworkers write notes and throw them into the trash can. Do you remember that story? I don't. I was thinking about that one the other day. I'll bring it up with you. But moving on, because we have a lot of MMA news, and I know everyone's waiting for us to talk about Conor Habib. Uh, the big one, Valentina Shevchenko will be fighting not Joanna, but Sayira Eubanks Sarge in the main event at Madison Square Garden in November. Caleb. Not everybody was excited about this. People felt like it should have gone to Nate and Dustin, 165 belt or otherwise. What are your thoughts on the move? Yeah, I mean, I think we had talked about this at Combate, how they should have just made the Ioana Valentina fight the main event because it still was a title fight. And obviously they're scrambling around for ideas. That was, of course, before this was announced that Joanna wouldn't have been ready in time. You know, I don't know. I think that I, I see why fans are maybe a little frustrated, don't understand why Sarge was the one that was picked to face Valentina. Dana White rebuttaled by saying, well, you know, had she not missed weight, she was the one that would have fought Nico originally for the title and possibly would have been the champion. So, um I I really don't know what to say here because I just know that they were scrambling so hard. So I don't think any of us can be that shocked or that um, upset. We know they didn't have a lot of options. I know that someone brought it up in the press conference. I don't know if you heard this, G, but someone mentioned to Dana, you know, uh, the 165 title. How come Nate and Dustin didn't get it? Or can we at least see that fight be a five-round fight? Um, And Dana shot it down really quick saying, I never said that I would be cool with the 165 title or that we had anything like that in mind. It was fake news. Fans ran, went and uh, ran wild with it. And we have no plans for that in the future. We know that Connor's kind of brought up that he'd be, he feels like he's the one to finally get the UFC to open up more of these divisions and, you know, have more belts out there. It could be a possibility later, and we all know we want to see the trilogy fight of him and Nate. I think those would be two great names to have that title fight. So I think that 
fans, where Nate is at and where Dustin is at, I respect how much they fought in the sport. Obviously, the exciting fights they've given us. Even where Dustin's looked lately, I think he deserves a title shot soon. But I wouldn't even really want those two names to be the ones that fight for the title, in my opinion. So I'm a little frustrated with fans just shooting down the Valentina and Sarge fight so bad. And I think it is because it's just women and women that they're not as excited about because they don't talk shit like Nate Diaz. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I'm going to try to nail this down in as few words because there's so <laughs> many different facets to it. And I, I, I agree with a lot, just about everything you're saying. Um, the first one um, with Joanna not stepping up. Let me point this out. Valentina has never had the UFC championship. Yes. She, it was close against Amanda. Yes. She was favored against Nico. She's never been a champion. There's mm-hmm. more pressure on her to want to take a title shot however she gets it. Joanna has had the belt. She's defended the belt. She has nothing to prove. And Kayla, let me point this out. Let's say she were to step up one month less preparation for Valentina and lose. That would be three losses in Uh title fights in 12 months. I don't care who it's against. She doesn't want that on her record. She doesn't want that on her rep for her legacy. I think she feels like Valentina is a tough opponent. She wants to take that fight on a full camp. And guess what? There's no pressure on her to step up early. She's already tasted gold. That's why, even though I'm sure they added incentive and really put pressure, that's why Joanna said, I'm not doing it. But mm-hmm. Valentina said yes. And you know, Sayer Eubanks wants a title shot. She said yes. That's one thing. On the 165 title, I agree with a lot of fans. There are a lot of guys who would be exciting, who would be fun to see at that weight class that would probably suit them better. I'm all for that. But Conor McGregor never lost his belt in the cage. Habib is undefeated. Tony Ferguson hasn't lost since he won the interim title. It was stripped by circumstance. We don't even know who the best lightweight in the world is. And now (laughs) you're going to crown another damn champion? No. And it's going to be someone that hasn't been active like Nate Diaz? Exactly. No, uh, guys, I am all for it, but we can't get there yet. I know that people are excited because Nate Diaz was about to, you know, take control of the Titanic for the UFC and sink all their title shot plans with the new belt. I get it. I think fans kind of like the idea that he was about to overthrow, you know, mighty UFC because, you know, due to fan due to public just outrage that these guys aren't getting a belt. I think that's what we were seeing, and Dana White held firm, but I think there's a lot of business decisions to go into this. Now, I'm going to talk about, you know, Dustin and Nate when we get to Tony and Connor and everybody, so I'm going to put a pin on that for now, but that's how I feel about 165 title. Yes, there's a lot of great fights to be made. There's a lot of guys who would be good for it, I just think at this point, you've got too many pieces at 155 and 170 to mess it up even more with a random 165 title. And I I like that that you brought that up, G, because I feel like 155 especially, I mean, and it might just feel intense because I've been around these four guys. Um, You know, I think that you could argue that Tony, Connor, Habib, even an Anthony Pettis, if he performs really well this weekend, 
Dustin, I think that you could argue that a lot of them deserve a title shot. And right now, the 155 is the only one available to them. And we're all trying to decide what's really fair, who deserves it, where it's like, you know, Tony has an argument of saying, well, my belt was just taken away from me. Well, Connor's Connor. So he's come back and, of course, gotten and his belt was stripped of his. So he wants that first shot once he is back. I I don't think that uh, Nate Diaz, in my mind, even though it would sell, is someone as deserving because of his lack of activity. When you have so many guys here that could be champions themselves if they had the opportunity. And I think you can say that about a couple of guys at 170 as well. I mean, I know we're about to talk about some of them. Um, There's some of those guys that could drop down. And then to picture those guys facing the lightweights, I mean, there's just, there's other people I think that are deserving of that first title shot in this new division when they do make it. My thing to cap it off and then we're moving on to welterweight action is that I, I understand everybody is performing well at lightweight. Dustin, Tony, Connor, Habib, everybody, Kevin Lee. I get that. I see that. Of course they're going to say they want a title shot. Of course people will. Are they, of course they're going to say, yeah, I'm ready to fight for a new 165 belt. Do you notice when these guys transition to be analysts or spokesmen, whether they're on TV doing analysts, analysis or whether doing a commercial for a George Foreman grill or something you want to know what gives them credibility rings championships it doesn't matter how they get it yeah it doesn't matter how they get it in 20 years what people will remember is that that guy used to hold a UFC championship belt and of course they're going to say yeah I'll take it it doesn't matter to me how I get it in a weight class in a new one in the other one etc etc of course they're going to say they all want a new belt of course they're all going to want to say they want to try to be a triple champion 155 165 170 i'm a little so it's like guys i get it and a lot of you guys are performing well we're just not there yet there's too much anarchy to be had if we introduce one just this minute so that's my final thought on that but let's get right into welterweight action moving right along Rafael Dos Anjos against Kamaru Usman at the tough finale. Both of them haven't fought since this last spring slash summer. RDA lost the five-round decision to Colby for the interim belt. Kamaru had that very slow but still dominant decision over Damian Maya. Kayla, what are your thoughts on this fight? Because I think this is one that really tests both men. I think it really tests both men, and I honestly am super excited about it, G. I think it's going to be a, a fight of the year contender if both men really bring it. I think that in RDA, one, I think Colby Covington, a lot of people were um, distracted with his antics and maybe sleeping on him a little bit. And I think RDA was one of those people. I think also Colby just needed a fight like an RDA that he really had to or was just able to show those other skills that maybe we hadn't seen in other fights. And I think that he kind of got in RDA's head a little bit of RDA wanting to get the win for Brazil because this guy has attacked his country and he's very prideful of that. But before that, RDA was looking amazing in my eyes. I thought he looked really good. We know that he was close to a title shot himself. Then we have Kamara Usman, who's been doing, you know, pretty well in the division and climbing those rankings and saying he's ready for this title shot. 
I think because he brings in this wrestling background, I and then like you said, maybe facing a Damian Maya, he's going to have to worry about RDA taking the fight to the ground and being slick there and having the experience as a former champion. I just see this fight being super competitive. Both of these guys know that they need a win off of each other to, again, keep putting their name in there to get that next shot at the champ. I, I see it being a really, really good fight. Yeah, for myself, I think that RDA, he, he knows his status. He knows that he lost a big one to Colby. He knows that these young guys, Darren Till, who now is moving up to middleweight, but, you know, your Colby Covingtons, your Santiago Ponzinibbios, all these guys are coming up, and the division looks like it's almost about to have some turnover that you kind of want to get your title shot now so you can claim it before you have to take on the murderer's row of these guys who just feel like they're getting younger and faster and stronger every year. So I get RDA's sense of urgency. This is a big one for him. Kamaru Usman, the longest win streak at welterweight right now. This guy, you know, it's the marketability thing. A lot of his big fights didn't produce fireworks. And since he's had a lot of attention, he hasn't been able to get that one big matchup. The Ponzinibbio fight was supposed to be that. Ponzinibbio fell out. So this is the one for Kamaru. Kamaru gets this one. It's a title shot. If It looks just bad on Woodley if he's waiting for it. Mm-hmm. Kayla, I'm going to say this. I think that if Kamaru gets it, I even think Tyron Woodley is just going to blow off Colby Covington and say... I want Kamaru. I think Kamaru deserves it more. Because I think that Woodley just feels that way about Colby Covington, the fighter and the person. I think that's what's going to happen. What about you? I mean, it could happen. I see it. I'm not going to say that it couldn't play out that way, but I'm someone that's like, well, the man won an interim belt and it's would have been taken away from him for reasons out of his control and confusion of lack of communication, a problem that we know is uh, there in the UFC and with its fighters, apparently. So I don't like that idea because, again, I had to listen to Tony Ferguson talk for the last two days, and it's sad when someone is, you know, talked up of the interim uh, champion and you get that next shot, and then someone new comes in and gets in there before you and steals, you know, your shine. So I don't like that idea, but, and I personally feel like though Kamara Usman has, like you said, the run, the running streak there, I think like an AJ McKee and Bellator, I personally need to see him face some more of the top tier guys like an RDA for me to really believe like, yeah, okay. I think you do deserve and are ready for that title shot. So I love that this is happening with RDA talk to me when the fight's over and maybe I'll change my tune. I personally think that I'd need one more and then maybe I'd see him getting a title shot. Colby is still the bigger fight. Colby's the one, I mean, has, is, is anybody more talked about in this world than the president? <laughs> I mean, I, I get it. It's kind of, it almost has to happen, right? But I think that Tyron Woodley if one thing is known about him outside the cage is that he's not into that business. He's willing to rock the boat a little bit to stand by what he says. And what he says is that he's not into fighting Colby. Um, I don't, I, I'll, I'll agree with that. 
if we come in and in November we see Kamaru just smoke RDA under 30 seconds, maybe we're talking about, you know, Colby needs to now redeem himself and get back there. So we're going to wait and see. But yeah, there's a lot going on. Um, exclusive interviews. We have a big one. I, I thought I had it, but apparently Kayla Beatty needs to one-up Double G on TV <laughs> because she talked to her also. So Kayla, um, well, here's the thing. I, you kind of get the credit. You get to see my conversation with Tanya. I haven't seen yours yet. So where would you like to begin? Yes, that will be up later, but we both had the pleasure of speaking with former Invicta champion and kind of on the newer side in the UFC's 135 division, Tanya Evinger, who was such a delight to speak with today and, in my opinion, has a lot to talk about. Um, I think that that division alone has a lot to talk about, but I really, really liked hearing from her. And so she's fighting this weekend at UFC 229 against Aspen Ladd, who is, you know, a more, I'm sorry? Undefeated. Undefeated, fresher face in the UFC or in women's MMA, actually has a win over Sarge Eubanks, who's fighting for the (laughs) 125-pound title. Um, But yeah, so we spoke with Tanya. G, do you want to kind of talk about your convo with her? Um, yeah, for fans who haven't read it yet, I've been pushing it on social media. Uh, with Tanya, the biggest thing is, um, look, she's been around a while, and she talked about the fight with Cyborg that, you know, biggest fight of her life, and she just didn't have a full camp to prepare for the best women's fighter of all time. She said that the only thing that surprised her was just the size and how powerful, at the end of the day, Cyborg really was when you're in the cage with her. She talked to me for a long time about her injury. This is a woman who has been wanting to fight since she lost to Cyborg, but it took Mm -hmm. UFC a long time to book her, and she was Mm -hmm. frustrated because she felt like, hey, do they think I'm a 145-er? That's why they're not giving me any bantamweights. Then when she finally got a fight, she tore her knee, and she needed surgery. She told me she thought she was going to retire because the pain was so bad it didn't heal correctly. It wasn't until she had another surgery to fix that that now she's felt, you know, brand new and completely different. And Kayla, she doesn't care about the fact that she didn't get Ketlin Vieira in Brazil. She says that she's happy that she didn't have to go. She says that, yeah, I know Ketlin was supposed to, quote unquote, fight for the title, but she didn't. She's not the next title challenger. Otherwise, she would have gotten the fight. That's what Tanya Evinger said to me. So. She said she's just ready. She said she feels she's earned her spot and she's just ready to take out Aspen Ladd. She told me she's not intimidated by her or what she's going to bring. She just feels she's the best woman out there. So she pumped me up. She was ready to go. Um, This is my second time talking with Tanya. Let me tell you something. She is very candid. I could tell you a lot of stuff that's just off the record that Tanya will talk about in She's so funny and personable, which I'm sure you got introduced to also yourself. Yeah, I definitely saw her during a media week. So I don't think that I got to see that um, that side of her as much, but very just lovely to talk to. And, you know, actually, GE broke an exclusive to me because I brought up the injury, but I don't know if maybe she just didn't want to bring too much attention to it because she has a fight coming up. But I didn't know it was a knee injury. And I didn't really want to press it too much since she didn't, you know, 
explain it to me about it. She just, like you said, said that it's past her now that she feels really good. But she did also mention to me too, that, yeah, there was a little bit of frustration of just the 135 division having these holdups, um, you know, not knowing what's going on with Amanda. I thought that that was interesting too. I actually spoke with her and Yana Kunitskaya about fighting cyborg and they both mentioned how it, it's just really hard finding an opponent for cyborg that's going to be able to beat her because if you're not a natural 145er and you're more natural 135er well we know cyborg drops down quite a bit to 145 so they said when you're actually facing her in there it's just she's she's too powerful she's too much uh, she's stronger and bigger in there. So, and both of them actually did face her on shorter camps, which I, I don't remember the politics or I guess just how it played out with both ladies and why they had to face her so quickly. But I also kind of feel for them because here they are stepping up and taking this fight to probably save the day and give Cyborg someone to face. Yet when Tanya is ready for a fight, you know, it took a little bit longer to book her something at 135. So I kind of thought that wasn't cool, but she now is booked. She also said the same thing about Ketlin. I said, is it a better trade-off that now you're fighting on this giant card that brings you a lot more eyes? And she said, I really don't care about that because I don't think I'm getting paid much differently, whether it was with Ketlin or with Aspen. But she said, I'm very happy to be fighting back home and not have to go to Brazil. I guess she just prefers to fight closer to home. Um, they also take... Did, our, oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? She told me and something that they don't uh, really mention a lot because it's not fun to talk about. But when they fight in Brazil, the way the taxes work, they actually lose a little bit bigger of a cut of their money. Yeah, and, you know, that was something that it seemed like was a big deal to her about just making money because at this point in her career, she's wanted to fight in the UFC because she's fought for so so long or, or a good amount of time and just wants to really get her payday. Um, I brought up the tough show to her, and I said, you know, it has been mentioned that even though the ladies fighting on tough are for one, the 145 division, a lot of them have fought at 135 in the past. Do you have you been watching thinking those girls will be your contenders? And she said, not so much. Um, you know, she's just going to focus on who they throw at her. And then I asked her, too. I said, you know, you are your own. You own your own promotion. Yeah. So being someone that's in charge of a promotion marketing, you know, your fighters, do you feel like women are marketed you know, how they should be because you've been around and you've seen the growth and evolution of women's MMA. And she said that she feels like she's definitely seen some growth. And lately, especially even with the Chris and Amanda fight, she thinks that's super cool that girls are getting that opportunity. But there's still some some more that needs to happen as far as selling these girl fights so then they can get those big paydays, like hopefully a Conor McGregor or someone that's getting more of a, a top payday. But, um, yeah, as far as Aspen, I think that, like you said, she just feels like the experience is going to be something that's going to um, help her out in there. And she didn't seem too worried about this undefeated rising star. You know, I think the biggest thing, um, talking about it, it didn't make it into my piece. But when I asked her about tough and I asked her, it's like, you know, look, you're a like, let's be honest, they're not giving Cyborg 145ers. They're giving her 135ers who are moving up in weight 
Um, Cyborg says she might think this division is sticking around. Tanya told me, I don't think so. I don't see how. I don't think any of these girls is gonna is about to carry this weight class when Cyborg leaves. And I think that the you know essentially that the tough roster, you know, when you look at it, it's kind of like the writing on the wall that it's like, look, we're the the proof is kind of in the pudding, right? They didn't really sign 145ers for this thing. They signed people who, if they close it tomorrow, could drop down. Um, that is a very tough one. And, uh, yeah, Tanya was very opinionated. Uh, she talked about Indominus, which I think was fun. And, yeah, her and her girlfriend built that from the bottom up, which I think is very admirable. We know people who do that, and it's not an easy undertaking. Kayla, did she give you her prediction for Connor Habib? Because she did tell me. I didn't ask her what was her prediction or what is her prediction. She's going with Habib, just for all the people who are curious. All right. And then also, if you guys, I'm not even going to reveal it because I want you guys to read it yourselves. But she tells me about what really happened that one time she kissed Miss Laura Sanko inside the cage. So if you guys really want to know what happened, you're going to have to read it on Cage Side Press. But Kayla, is there a fight going on on Saturday? I can't remember. No. I... Kayla, so we have tech. It's right when we're about to talk about the biggest fight of the year. How fitting. Um, <laughs> where to begin? It is upon us. McGregor comes back to face Habib. The fight everyone's been waiting for. Um, let's just get it started. Connor versus Habib. Tell me about it. Tell you about it like leading up this week? I mean, wherever you want to start, because we could <laughs> be here for the whole another hour. So. Let's not do that. Um, yeah. I, it's okay, been let hard. Me... Well, I really, I really don't have much to go off since I haven't seen them face each other this week. Um, I think in the open workouts, I feel like I saw a stronger Conor McGregor. I don't know if Habib just wasn't trying to give us a lot in his workout, show a lot of his game. Um, but he, like, the consensus overall is I feel like Habib seems very shook by what Conor, you know, has said to get into his head, the way that the fans uh, came out today. Habib seems very like just shook. I think that Connor's definitely gotten into his head. And I think that he's starting to even question himself. Some of the answers that he gave in the press conference, being frustrated with Connor not showing up. I feel like he just kind of wanted to get out of there and not have to have any more of the mental uh, warfare. And it also being the day that he cuts weight. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like I'm more confident in Connor McGregor. Connor McGregor seems like he's, very very like genuinely happy and grateful to be back he said it in the open workouts in his quick little interview um that the man the champ is predictable he's flat-footed he you know doesn't like to get hit i know he had mentioned a devastating ko is what he the mystic mac is predicting i saw him throwing a lot of uppercuts and um knees in his open workout I don't know if he's looking to try and get a Francis Ngannou finish, but he just seems mentally in a very good place. It seems like he's genuinely back because he likes competition and because he feels like there's still 
fights that are exciting and more for him to do in MMA. So, um, well, well, let me let me jump in be- before we get too far because I want to have a chance for us to go over a little bit of X's and O's. Um, the press conference because Habib tried to take the high ground to say I'm on time. I was here. I didn't keep media waiting. I didn't keep fans waiting, and I did my job. Uh, okay, you could say that, and technically you're right, but I think the bigger thing we all felt was that, well, you got to avoid dealing with Connor's antics, this time with the support of that big crowd, Irish or otherwise, that really came out to see him. I feel like that says a lot about Habib. I think if he was really looking to, I think if he was really feeling it, he wouldn't have had a problem staying there for Connor. I feel like there was a bit of that, you know, I don't want to give him that edge. I think he's just going to win no matter what I say to him. So that's that was my impression. What did you feel about him leaving early? Yeah, that's how I felt too. That's what I'm saying is I think he's gotten in his head and he wanted to avoid having to have another mental warfare with Connor, especially like you, you're saying, it was very obvious whether you were there or listening on the broadcast. The 80 to 90% of the crowd were Irish fans. And if you were a Habib fan, like they were all staying silent or they were being, you know, drowned out by the Irish fans. Yeah. I, don't, I, mean, I think out of all of, out of all of Connor's opponents, I think that Habib is one of the ones that um, is getting the most shook by Connor's antics. And I don't know if it's just because he's never experienced loss before. Um, I don't know. To me, it, it just doesn't seem like he's in a good headspace. But, you know, he said, just try and stay calm. I think, too, it seems like it does really bother him that his father isn't in town for his fights. I think he relies a lot on his father. Um, you know, coaching him through his wins throughout his growing up or, you know, throughout his life. So I'm sure he'd feel better having his support team here. But unfortunately, he doesn't. You know, uh, I think it's rough because I think um, and I'm going to save this for our in conclusion before we cap it all off. But I think part of it is the personalities. I think when you look at Connor's biggest rivals, um, Nate Diaz, Aldo, even guys like Mendez and Poirier before, they kind of had a little bit extra edge going into that, you know, the pre-fight with Connor, the talk with Connor. They were ready for the fight before the fight on stage, on the microphone with him. I can't say Habib has made me a believer that he was ready for this fight before they get in the cage. I think that might be a personality thing. Could it be language? Possibly also. But I think that it really just comes down to how he conducts himself, that it's a personality that when you add all of the bells and whistles that Connor does, it's really hard for someone like Habib, not just Habib himself, to deal with. And I think that's what we're seeing. Um, Kayla, is it as simple as the wrestling versus the striking? I know you're feeling Connor, but I guess... Do we have anything different to add to all of that? Is it really that simple for the biggest fight of the year? I think it just comes down to that Habib either has not shown us that he has, you know, more of a skill set than just his wrestling. So far, I think, and especially within his last fight, I think he showed holes. And I just don't know if I feel confident that someone can 
fix those holes in this short amount of time against somebody who has focused on learning so many different skill sets of MMA and then just has that accuracy to put someone out and the power to put someone out. At the same time, that being said, in the workouts, someone mentioned today saying that they thought Connor looked a little gassed after some of the workouts. Now, we know these guys are cutting weight, but if cardio is an issue, I mean, I, I think there is a chance for Habib, but I think that if he tries to stand up with Connor or if he doesn't fall back on that token super strength wrestling and just kind of, you know, grinding someone out on the ground for, for five rounds, I just don't know if I feel confident that he's going to be able to um, match up his skills to where Connor's skills are as far as a well-rounded fighter. To me, the two things that I really go back to with this one is first for Habib, the lack of head movement, especially against Iaquinta. And we saw it even against Edson Barbosa. He doesn't really have lateral movement. He kind of comes forward, you know, just neck straight as a tree. He stays on that line. And the reason I think he gets away with it a lot is that He's using forward pressure, so guys feel kind of like they're more on their heel. They can't really target him the way they're used to. And that threat of the takedown. You kind of don't want to throw hands because you feel like you need your to be ready to sprawl and brawl and, you know, try not to let him get you to the mat. So I think that has helped Habib in the past, but we know that Connor just his sense of the distance and the timing, his incredible knockout power, all of that really bodes well for him to get a finish. Now, if you're Conor McGregor, um, I think the fight with Chad Mendes at the end of the day was the big, uh, you know, factor. He really struggled to have defense off of his back. He struggled to stop the onslaught of strikes. He really didn't threaten with submissions of his own. Um, I put Habib well ahead of Chad Mendes. So you got to now answer which of these guys is going to be able to pull out the defense in their respective area should the fight, you know, be in the one, be in the place they don't want to be. Um, Kayla, my prediction for the fight is that Connor is going to come out very aggressive, very strong. I think that he really is going to want to go out there and try to set a precedent. I think sometimes he's fought a little slower at the beginning. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think he's really going to come out with some bad intentions from the get-go for Habib. That being said, I wouldn't be surprised at Habib. They say go, and he literally just goes right for the first takedown, not even any punching. So it's going to be a very interesting first few exchanges for sure. But <sighs> we're about to do predictions. I want to toss it to you real quick, though. Do you have anything more to add stylistically about what's going on in this fight tomorrow night? Or sorry, on Saturday night. I think that it's about who's done their homework. We know that Connor likes to do his homework. He, you know, started this whole uh, mental warfare and verbal warfare of looking up Habib's past and then Habib looking up his. But what I think what you can see in all of Connor's fights is that when he is tested, like the Chad Mendez fight, he and his team, I, I don't even think it's the, uh, what's made Conor McGregor, Conor McGregor's uh, one-man job. It's his team. I think that they are really good about watching tape, 
seeing where they messed up. And I think he's obsessed where he drills and says, I will never let that happen to me in a fight again, or I will never not be able to defend, you know, in the way that I did, I'm never going to let that happen again. I'm just, I'm more confident in him doing the homework. So I think that's, what's going to get him the um, win. But I also, I, I think so too. I think it's going to be a matter of who sets the pace. And um, I think both men are aggressive and confident enough to set that pace of, like you said, either Habib going for that immediate takedown. But now that I'm seeing Habib's mindset kind of be messed with, I think that Connor could easily start that fight and do a few things in there to just mentally break Habib and then him, him end up finding the finish. So I'm definitely thinking a first or second knockout. You know that what you, you are not alone on that one, but I, I, I've really gone back and forth and I've said it that I feel like I experienced the McGregor effect. For example, I said all of last year that, um, you know, if, Somehow, and I told you guys it wouldn't happen, that Connor would actually box Floyd in a boxing match. That, you know, Connor would have no chance. And yet the promotion, the constant in your face, let's talk about it. I can't lie to you and say I don't think about, man, what if Connor just lands that left hand early again? And it just, and so I'm experiencing that, but. I'm sticking to the prediction I've had for a long time when I really think about it. I feel that Habib is going to be able to get the job done um, relatively well on the ground. Um, The reason why is I do think that he is ready for a Conor McGregor who's going to come out guns blazing. I think that for as much as you talk about the mental aspect and everything, I think he knows that he gets Conor on the ground that entire arena is going to start getting real quiet. I think that once he's getting a few punches going, it's going to take all of that wind right out of everybody's sails. It's going to be like this black hole of death, and Habib is just going to ride that to a beatdown of a finish. I have Habib getting probably second-round submission. I think that he's going to really wear out Connor in the first, and then he's going to get the job done on the ground in the second, finish the job. But a short night. I think so. Now, let me tell you another fear that I think you and I are going to be on the same page on. This fight has so much hype, and it's, you know, it's the biggest fight of the year, easily. I do fear because I think it could be too quick of a fight. I do see Connor being able to get the job done in the first minute. I see Habib possibly getting the first takedown and there's no drama after about three, possibly less. If he just gets on top of him early, I'm going to be honest with you, Kayla. I don't care who wins as long as they go back and forth and give us some action for all this hype. I don't want it to end quickly. I know I predicted an early finish. I hope I'm wrong about that part of it. What about you? Um, what are you asking? Do you think it, do you want it to end quickly, no matter who wins or loses? Or do you want it to go on? I mean, I think that we all just want a good fight or something to talk about because we've had to talk about it leading up to it. So 
I don't necessarily care if it's quick or a long night. I just th- hope that both men go in there giving it their all and bringing their all. Like, it would be disappointing to me. The thing that made me the most disappointed with the Rory Gaygard is that if it was really a matter of Rory getting in his own head, it's like, well, Dan, that sucks, even though that is part of the fight game. I would rather see someone lose because they gave us a Rory Robbie fight. I agree with you. And I think that that's just how I feel at the end of it is that's my biggest fear is we get in there on Saturday and, you know, within a minute, it's like, yep, that's a wrap. And it's like, no, I need this one to go a little longer. So that's my biggest one. But we have two other fights. So let's also talk about those. You know, I know we've had a very big show. Tony Ferguson versus Anthony Pettis, former interim against former undisputed lightweight champion. And a lot riding for both of these guys. I know you have a lot to say about this one. So you tell me, what is the biggest thing going into this fight? Um, I thought that it was Tony's mental state. I actually didn't get to hear his scrum today because I was jumping around getting other interviews. But I hear that he was in a much better um, mind frame and just... um. Yeah, in kind of a, a better state, I guess, with the with the press. Um, but one thing I saw yesterday is both men looked really, really good in their open workouts, in my opinion. They were throwing the flashy stuff. They were showing that they were athletic, that they both had their cardio up. And they both just, they both want this. They're both in a position similar to, you know, a Kamaru Usman RDA um, they're sitting sitting here knowing that they're worthy of a title shot, or at least that's what they've said in their mind is they feel like they could be champion again, or that they, he could, you know, Tony was walking around with his interim belt. He still feels like he's the interim champion. Um, so that to me is why I feel like it's going to be fight of the night. I feel like we are going to see two guys, oh, man, just really, really perform. I think what's cool is Anthony mentioned in his scrum that he hasn't really ever faced a guy that's been as dangerous um, fighting off his back. And and like he said, I know he can throw a bunch of Darces at me. I'm ready for it. You know I love when the fights go to the ground too, but what's great about both these fighters is they're so skilled on the feet and the ground. Um, I, I'm, I'm most intrigued just to see how each other – go into this fight and what their game plans are with each other um, because it can, it can go so many different ways. I was worried that Tony's mindset or, or his injury would be an issue, but it really doesn't seem like he, that injury is, is bothering him. I think that um, for whatever reason, his holistic practices, his mental belief and, and capability of, of jumping in there five months after a knee injury, he, I'm a believer. He looks good. For me, the biggest thing is that um, for both men, they feel like this is their time. Tony feels disrespected. He he should be the main event on Saturday. He knows that. He was there. He didn't. He lost. He was stripped of his title. He was the one who never lost. He was the one who was active when Habib and Connor were unavailable. I get that. I I get why why he's so frustrated. I get that he feels like. He doesn't, the media isn't saying, hey, you guys should be talking about Tony instead of just resigning to say, oh, it's Connor Habib. I get where he's coming from. At the same time, Anthony Pettis, he's been so inconsistent, but his fight with Michael Chiesa, 
And now going into this fight, this is similar to Jeremy Stevens, Jose Aldo. You wonder, is Anthony getting Tony Ferguson just at the right time, coming off that injury, coming off a ridiculous, what is it, four or five month turnaround? Both of them are aware of what this means to be able to say, hey, I'm still here and I don't care who wins the main event. I want to, you know, this is my spot for Anthony. People were thinking he may never get to the top of that division again to now possibly have a chance to really shock everybody and have the biggest case for a title shot. This is a big one. So uh, now. And, you know, I think people I you know, people are really quick to say, like, oh, Anthony Pettis fell off. I watched a lot of his fights and. I really don't think that he's had the biggest fall off. I think that people just saw him, you know, as champ and of course the showtime kick and then only having about two or three losses, which in my opinion, the Dustin Poirier, I think that he, you could arguably say that he was holding his own for the majority of that fight. He ended up getting all of that blood in his eyes. Um, You know, like it's not like, I don't think that he was sweeped by a Dustin Poirier. So and, the, and he brought this up today, too, which you can find at The Ring Digital on YouTube. <laughs> um, on, in our scrum, he mentioned moving down to 145, he experienced the harsh um, stuff that comes with weight cuts and said that he actually had experience um, going blind as well. So that's why, and you're hearing a, a lot of fighters actually come out and say this. I think Connor uh, said this as well, that when Darren Till came out saying that he was experiencing losing his sight, a lot of these fighters are saying, man, I felt that too. I just wasn't vocal about it. So I really don't think you can take those law. I think there's one or two losses at 145 and really hold it against Anthony Pettis and say, saying like, whoa, he's totally lost it. I think he took a chance going to 145. He was kind of trying to figure out where, what he wanted to do with his career um, if he wanted to face these top killers. But I'm telling you, he seems very, very – confident and seems like he maybe needed this little hurdle to really get back to being you know in a title eliminator or at least in that top five um so i just i guess i'm just trying to sell this as it is going to be a more competitive fight i don't think that people should think showtime is old news because he's not even that old either oh i never said that Well, other people have, (laughs) and people are so quick to say, he's not the same Anthony Pettis anymore. And I don't know, because I was watching a lot of their fights leading up to this, when I watched played back his losses, I didn't even think his losses were that bad. It's not like he was getting KO'd, you know, and completely knocked out. Like, he still was very competitive in his losses. I mean, I'm just, I feel like you're about to try to hit me over the head with some proper 12. I'm an Anthony Pettis fan, man, and Tony Ferguson. I want it to be a draw because I don't want either of them to lose. That's my prediction. Oh, my gosh. Calm down, Kayla. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Okay, you know, all right. So, first off, um, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I he never should have been at 145 in my opinion he's already too cut and lean at 155 that he was really just hurting himself doing 145 secondly the 155 fights you want to know what frustrated me i feel like even in the edson barbosa he that was a winnable fight and i just feel like he wasn't pulling the trigger and that made me wonder is it the injuries is it mental um, you know, he doesn't talk about it, but he's lost a bit of time for a guy who's only 31 years old. 
two injury, and he's had to come back from some big ones. So, you know, I, gee, he so. does talk about it in our scrum and how it was a mental hurdle, not just an injury with his knee, but getting over a mental hurdle of it. See, now here's the thing: he looks good coming off the Michael Chiesa fight, but that mm-hmm. was my thing. Is like, hey, we were wondering. Is he going to be able to do it? Can he put it together consistently, too? I, anyone could come back and look good once. Staying up there is even tougher. I think that's the test for Pettis. Same thing for Ferguson. Is he just rushing it? Mm-hmm. Now, Kayla, let, let me talk about some X's and O's right now. For Tony, I think the thing about it is his physicality. He is a big, big athlete for 155. And we know that he likes to go for a lot of unorthodox stuff himself the spins, the elbows, and he's a great grappler. I think it's going to come down to the physicality. I think that Anthony, if he's going to win this fight, he's got to be very active, attack with high volume, stay on the outside. If you're Tony Ferguson, you're closing the distance all night. You're trying to put your weight on him, try to wrestle him to the ground, make him fight off of his back. I think that that's going to be the key. Can Anthony Pettis deal with somebody who, in my opinion, has more firepower going into this one? I think that's going to be the biggest test. Do you see anything stylistically that's different? No, I think that those are all very great points. And I think that I see Tony doing much of what you said, too, because of that knee injury and knowing that it's a target. Yeah, that's going to be the X factor. Anthony Pettis just rips a few kicks to that left knee, and what what are we going to see? I think that's going to be the biggest one. I, I'm going to throw this out before I give a prediction. I can't say I'm entirely convinced that it's not a bit of ego pushing Tony Ferguson to make this quick comeback. I do really worry about that because I do feel he was genuinely pissed. I do feel like he genuinely rushed it a little bit just to try to make a statement on this card specifically. Look, I'm sure the doctor cleared him. I'm sure he's been checked out a lot, but still, these things are delicate for a reason. So I do worry a little bit about that. That's going to be the thing I look out for. That being said, I am predicting Tony Ferguson to win. Just use his size, get on top of him, really just take that distance away. And whether he outpoints him or he smothers him on the ground, I think it's a Tony Ferguson victory. So let me, right. I know Kayla. I know Kayla number one says it's a draw. Does Kayla number two have anything to change up? Who is Kayla number two? The one who. That's a good question. I'll get back to you. Are you implying that I have split personalities? I'm telling you that my prediction is it's a draw. For real now. Yeah. You're standing by that. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Kayla believes it's a draw. So who gets a title shot? <laughs> if it if it's a draw, that's gonna be so sweet. Um, I no one's calling it a title eliminator. Both men were asked if it's a title eliminator. They're like, I don't know. Obviously, there's a lot of politics going on. Let's pretend it is. <laughs> well, we can't. <laughs> Why? Why? <laughs> Say that again. I said, why? We can't, we're not the boss. We're not Dana White. People so tune in for us to, it has, people tune in for us to pretend we are. It hasn't been, no, they don't tune in for that. Yes, it hasn't do. been said that uh, it's a title eliminator. So I'm not even going to think that it is. Well, because it leads into my point. If let's say Tony Ferguson 
um, gets the victory and Dustin Poirier gets the victory, who's supposed to get a title shot no matter who wins? Yeah, exactly. Conor That's Habib. why. Exactly. That's why maybe that we do need a 165er because all these wasted talent, it's they're all being benched just waiting to get their shot at gold. My thing is that, and I heard this, um, why should they have to fight somebody else? I think that would be the biggest thing, but I think if you're Connor or Habib, how soon are you ready to fight the next guy? And then if you're, you know, Dustin or um, or Tony or somebody else, how long are you willing to wait? And is it going to be how impressive you were? All of these are very important questions. I think that on credibility, Connor, go ahead. Connor did say that he plans to, he said that, one idea he has is to finish Habib so quickly that he doesn't get touched and then he can fight on the MSG card next month. So for his uh, next opponent to be ready. How many sips of whiskey did he have before he said that? (laughs) None in front of us. How many cases do you think he brought to Vegas? Um, That he brought to Vegas? I mean, they got to have like a whole garage full of it wherever they're staying. Well, the thing is, he's already announced he's having an after party. So there's going to be how many cases of proper whiskey at that after party. He's probably been handing some out to fans. I'd say cases. How many come in a case? Don't they come in like four usually? So maybe like a couple. I I think he'd travel with no less than 150. Yeah, I was going to say like a couple hundred. Yeah, and that's also, mind you, that's also the one he shipped to Dana and the couple he shipped to UFC headquarters. <laughs> he probably and that he's going to ship to Habib. I think he after their fight, if he wins, just out of spite. They have some bottles at the UFC gym where they filmed the Ultimate Fighter. So, are you really going with a, a draw for Tony versus Pettis? You're not just yes, G. Move on. <laughs> yes, move on. That's my prediction. Write it down. I, I I'm just shocked. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I thought you were messing with me. Okay, a draw. That doesn't count because then you get to brag both ways. <laughs> um, why don't you talk to me about the last bat we're talking about? I'm a little Let at a loss. I'm a, I'm at a loss on the air. Let me check our text to see the last fight we're discussing. Volkov versus Lewis. Yes. So Alexander Volkov and Derek Lewis will be fighting. Um, Oh, gosh. Let me try to remember the research I did on this. So Derek is trying. His last fight was the fight with Ngannou, correct? Yep. Yeah. So he's trying to come back off of what some people are calling like the one of the most boring, if not the most boring or, or I guess, I guess just disappointing fights, right? We had been wanting this soap fight for so long. He was one half of this lackluster fight. Yeah. Then we have Alexander Volkov, who I believe I forgot what, where he's at. Let me look at my notes. Sorry. I'm starting to hit a point of just like, falling asleep because I've just been brain dead after a long media day and talking to too many different people. Um, yes. So Alexander Volkov is coming off of a win over Verdum. Verdum. That's what it was, but there is something that was special about this fight in particular. He got the finish in the fifth round, no? Or fourth? 
and got a performance of the night. And we know too that he's just trying to take that that second spot that Derek Lewis has. Um, one thing that I noticed, I mean, I knew that these guys were big, but Alexander Volkov is much taller than Derek. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if Derek's faced. I guess Francis Ngannou must have been taller than him too. Um, but because of the fight with Francis, I don't think that Derek can come out of that fight saying, hey, I now have faced, you know, a guy that hits super powerful that has that size advantage over me. Unfortunately, he didn't get that Francis Ngannou this time. Um, these two I actually didn't get to speak with. Um, so, and what I had heard is Derek Lewis seemed very out of it. Mm. I don't know if they he was going through um, a the, a hard weight cut, um, but he had a lot of Russian fighters also interviewing him, and um, yeah, their lines for them were just a little little too strong that we had to focus on the co-main. But um, I don't know if it was like a language barrier that just kind of tired him out, but he just de- definitely seemed a little out of it. So. I haven't been around Derek Lewis during a fight week. Maybe he does just end up bringing it during fight night. But I think one of the big things is we're all wondering his back. This man is fighting so actively that has he let, has he taken the time to let his back heal? I don't know if he eventually is going to fight for a title and say he wins. Then he's going to try and go on hiatus and take a break before he defends it. I personally think that he should take the time to heal his back. If you're considering retirement, um, you know, why are you going to just keep fighting until you literally can't walk anymore? Um, That's why it's just always been hard for me to get behind Derek Lewis is, you know, the way that he speaks of his back upsetting him in his fight. I don't want another repeat of a Francis Ngannou Derek Lewis fight because then at post-fight press conference he tells us oops sorry my back started giving me pain halfway through I think Alexander Volkov is someone that's super probably excited about the UFC finally making its debut in Russia I think that he probably wants to be the next standout star I think he sees opportunities in that division to you know get a big win over Derek Lewis and then get close to that title talk what do you think G? I agree (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. Did you want more? <laughs> if you want to give more, if not, we can give predictions. Um, no, I, I just, I'm still at a loss over the co-main event, to be honest. Um, <laughs> you know what, uh, Derek Lewis, I think um, the thing about this fight is that Derek, I would argue that there is a big way that he is more dangerous than Fabricio Verdum. And that's that a healthy Derek Lewis, the Derek Lewis we are familiar with, is the guy who will go in there and take risks to put his hands on Exactly. Right. Verdum is very technical, has a lot of weapons. I can't say that he's going to do those same things. Derek Lewis, because of his size, because of his aggression, that's a different kind of beast that you're in there with. And Volkov, for as great as he's looked, that is just kind of like a Mark Hunt factor. It's very difficult for a lot of guys to deal with. And I think that if we have a healthy Derek Lewis, it could make things more interesting. Now, I tend to go with the latter. I believe that Derek, uh, I would imagine that he wouldn't take this fight unless he was feeling good, but it always happens. 
He always says during fight week, my back started acting up. This isn't, this is sadly a pattern that kind of makes me worried about, well, what are you going to say tomorrow morning when they weigh in? That it remains to be seen, but I would say that because that fight was barely in July, how healthy have you honestly been able to get in terms of your recovery if you already went right into a training camp for a tough guy like Volkov? So I'm going to go with the fact that we're probably going to see a slower Derek Lewis. Alexander Volkov has had the benefit of watching the fights with Mark Hunt, with Travis Brown. He knows he could use his height, his reach. He can rip to the body with leg kicks, drag him into the later round, see if he could tire him out a little bit. Maybe even take Derek Lewis down, force Derek to fight off of his back and just eliminate that worry of being on the feet with Derek. All of those are good factors. And I keep telling people, Volkov didn't just come out of nowhere. He is a veteran who's fought a lot of fights. He's been Bellator heavyweight champion. He's fought in M1, which is a big one in Russia. This is a guy who's been around a while. And yes, Derek Lewis could come in dangerous, but it's not going to be something that he's not prepared for, I think, mentally, if the fight does get rougher than expected. So... I don't know. It's a tough one. Derek Lewis could also put hands on him. Uh, predictions? Um, predictions, I think that, yeah, to the point that we both were trying to, I guess, just make is there's concern that he's coming back too soon instead of letting that back heal. And I think, like you said, because there's been a pattern in his last couple of fights of that being the reason of why we didn't get a more competitive Derek Lewis, that's what I'm going to go off of. You know, I think that um, a back injury is, is something very serious. So I think Alexander Volkov sees an opportunity here and hasn't slept on it. Like I said, I think that he is excited that now he could possibly main event or at least be co-main or something on a, on Russia's next card. So I think that we're just going to see him go in with a, a better game plan and, and be able to, take advantage of Derek Lewis maybe being slower than usual in there. So I I don't know if I see it as, I guess maybe a finish in the, no, I think this is going to decision. For who? For Volkov. Gotcha. I'm going to go with the draw. okay yeah i just i don't know that one it could really go either way i can't pick one this time (laughs) um kayla i got one final question for you um this fight everyone's talking about is it going to be the biggest fight in ufc history i think right now the right i know it's a connor versus nate diaz too i want to say the number was about a million and six hundred thousand does this fight top that number? Why or why not? I think that it could, even though I feel like Habib isn't selling it as much. I think that the trash talk between the two, or at least just more of Connor trash talking to somebody, um, you know, and the lack of that today might have hurt it a little bit. But I think just because it's a Connor comeback. And then I think because Habib is undefeated and there are a lot of people that always want to see someone go down or they want to see 
Connor really be tested and, and really taken out by somebody um, in the fashion that Habib can do. I think that I do see it being the biggest fight card and, and having the best numbers. So, yeah, I believe it will. But I don't know if I believe the three million anymore. I think they might see a two million instead. I think yeah, that's uh, Dana White doing his job. That's why WME kept him on payroll to say those kinds of numbers. I actually think no. I think that uh, the big when you talk about big fights, you are talking about okay, if the MMA fan only buys one or two pay per views a year, this is that one they buy. That's a given. So you're talking about probably hanging around the million dollar mark or the million, you know, buys mark. I think what makes these bigger fights special is you pull in fans who maybe never order a fight to watch them. Fans who don't really care, fans who don't know everybody. And yes, Connor is going to bring in a lot of those people by himself. But I think when you're talking about the big fight, the history number, it tends to be when he's up against another personality. Jose Aldo had that. Nate Diaz. Definitely Floyd Mayweather. I can't say I feel that way about Habib. I think that even... I felt like this would feel bigger, I heard this said, outside our bubble. You know what I mean? I felt like it would be bigger with the people who don't normally want to talk to me about my MMA work. That more of them would want to be into it or get into it. I don't feel that kind of buzz. And I think that part of it is Habib, like I said, his personality. This is just how he works. But at the end of the day, I do think that's going to translate because I think that at the end of the day, a lot of people, the ones that would make this a history-making fight, they just see it as the Conor McGregor show. And that alone isn't enough for those extra 100000 that they need to pay that 60 bucks for the pay-per-view. So... I think it's going to come up just short. I see about a million two hundred, a million three hundred. I don't think it's going to top uh, McGregor Diaz too. Now the other thing, though, is Russia. They finally brought the UFC to Russia. The um, Russian people paid for a pay per view. So you don't think that now that they've kind of opened up that door to where you know the people of Russia have already paid for a pay-per-view once, why would they not get behind Habib? You don't think that'll come into play? I'm going to hit you with the curveball. No. What I've heard from the Russians is actually that they are more against pay-per-view than you would imagine. That really... Yeah, that was before. What Were they saying that after this last Russian card? Yes. They were telling me, like, I don't even see... I don't see UFC doing a big show because pay-per-view in Russia is an even more... I don't want to say a foreign concept, but it's a—it's just not how they're—they're—they get their content, even premium, over in the country. And um, I, I gotta say, the biggest factor would have been Habib versus Ayakinta, and I don't think that one particularly sold in the mega numbers, even though Habib is the guy right now. Could that change? That, one is, that is true. That one's hard to tell though, because that had so many changes within the week that it was like. It was hard for people to get excited when your opponent changed like two or three times within two weeks. I think that's why it's going to come down to it. I think it's really going to be, it's going to come down to the Conor McGregor effect. Is Conor that big of a deal that the others are going to pay to watch him fight? That's going to be the key. Has he brought more fans since the Mayweather fight? 
is this the culture versus culture, nation versus nation thing that it's being hyped up to be also? I don't think it is, but I'm hoping I'm wrong because I love to see history. So that's where I'm at with it. But yeah, so we are split on, a lo- I think this is the most split we've ever been on our picks. So Kayla is going with Conor McGregor for the victory. I have Habib to defend. I'm going with Tony Ferguson by decision. Kayla has a draw in the co-main event. Kayla has Alexander Volkov. And I have a draw between the battle of the heavyweights. So, guys, obviously tune in next week. It's going to be quite interesting to talk about all these. Um, Kayla, can I hit you with another curveball? Sure. Next week, we have... PFL and not one but two Bellator cards just in case this week wasn't busy enough great I mean so we're gonna have two heavyweight bouts from the heavyweight Grand Prix it picks up after I think six months which is just mind-boggling to me that it's taken that long and then of course PFL for the second round of their playoffs just a very busy week in mixed martial arts so so much to break down. My friend, I wish I could be there in Vegas with you. I am experiencing it through your eyes and your social media. So just keep on killing it. I know you're doing a great job. I saw you on TV. So just Kayla, have a lot of fun. Best of luck. What are your final thoughts before we sign off for the week? Yeah, G, enjoy the fights. Can't wait to talk about them with you next week. Fans, if you want to Check out some of my coverage here. You can follow me at fangirl underscore MMA. I am here on behalf of Ring Magazine. You can check out the content at on YouTube at The Ring Digital and their social media, Ring TV. G, where can they check out your prediction video, your interview with Tanya, your Insta story, or maybe picture of your face when you see that Tony and Anthony have a draw. Conclusion. Kayla, I'm going to make you a promise right now. (laughs) If Tony and Pettis ends in a draw, I will personally hand you a bottle of proper 12. Hell yeah. Okay, that is my thing. Fans, you can find me on social media at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double. And we'll be back next week with all of the results. Until then, enjoy the fights.